Thank you, Pastor Tony. And again, the latter part of what he was talking about, we are very grateful for all of you that serve behind the scenes. Sometimes people say, oh, you're a great pastor. I just go, I could never do the things I do if it wasn't for all of you who are behind the scenes helping and serving and caring and, and doing things for us. So we are very grateful for you. We are grateful that you are a part of the body of Christ, caring and supporting and loving each other. Well, this is a time of celebration for us as the church around the world as we celebrate the goodness of Christmas in our theme this year for us at Maranatha is, O come, let us adore Him. The whole goal and purpose of Christmas is that we would worship Him. As we've been going through the Old Testament, we have seen that theme. It's about knowing Him, and then out of that knowledge comes this great worship and adoration. And this Sunday, as we have done each of our Sundays, we have an Advent candle. And we are this week representing the candle of hope. We're going to reflect on scriptures, both old and new, as they read passages. And then, as our sermon part is, we're just going to work through scripture looking at this concept of hope and the great gift of God's Son. He is our hope. And this tradition recalls the hope of God's people throughout this process of redemption, waiting and anticipating the Messiah and the hope that we have also for His second coming. And this hope shows up in the whole story of the Bible. shows up in creation. It shows up at the fall. It shows up at this process of redemption throughout the Old Testament. Then, hope takes on flesh for us. And so important for us today, hope is what anchors us for what is to come until that day we arrive in heaven. And what we're going to do as we've done each week is at the end of this time where the Carlsons will come up and read this passage, we will sing this song, O Come All Ye Faithful. So let's get that ready. There's sheets in front of you and you have hymnals in front of you, we will together as a congregation sing, O come all ye faithful, after the candle is lit. So at this time, the Carlson family, if you would come up. Isaiah 41, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way a voice of one calling in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Today's theme is the word hope. I want to look a little bit more closely at the meaning hope. In the Bible dictionary, the expository Bible dictionary of Old Testament, New Testament words, I encourage you, get this book. This is one of the most important books you can have next to your Bible because in many ways, words on their own mean nothing. You've got to have an understanding of what it is. And as we'll see here, sometimes we apply our English understanding of a biblical word which doesn't have as much weight as that biblical word or at times means something different. 
in this dictionary talking about hope. It says, hope is a confident expectation or a solid assurance, desire, a trust. See, that's different from the English word that we use when we use the word hope. When we use it, it's more than a more of like a feeling. We hope in something. We hope that something will happen. I hope it snows tomorrow. Don't hate me, okay? I mean, that's just how I am at the early part of the season. Towards the end, I get a little tired. But I have this hope. I, it's more of a wish. Kind of like, oh, well, I hope it happens. I hope it snows tomorrow. And sometimes those words that we use, hope, and what we hope in, doesn't always happen. For instance, this year I hoped that I would get a massive buck. It did not happen. I shot a doe. I'm very grateful. This morning I realized that I need to get a new shirt, a Christmas shirt. I'm kind of lengthy and long, and uh, even when I look, look at that, I just so I hope that when I go to the store today, they'll have children's apparel, um, women's apparel, men's apparel, and clothes made for apes, because I'm like an ape, you know. I just like, oh, I just. Here, I'm just going to make it easier for me. There, okay. I hope I find a shirt that fits me, large and extra, extra long. This kind of hope is more of a wish we hope in. But in the Bible, the word hope is far greater than just a wish. Again, listen to these words. A confident expectation. A solid assurance. The way we use hope implies doubt. Well, I hope it will happen, but uh, I don't know. The way the Bible uses hope is with assurance and expectation. There's a big difference there. So let's begin looking through Scripture. Hope. Hope for the coming Messiah is seen already in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis. In Genesis, we see this. In fact, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. In the beginning, when sin came into the world, God promised Adam and Eve that their descendant would crush the head of Satan, the enemy. Genesis chapter 3. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Already there's this hope, this beginning glimpse that something is going to happen. Sin has entered the world. Satan has done some things contrary to God's plan. But... God already before creation, we see this in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, God had a plan. Satan cannot spoil it. Man, sin cannot spoil his plan. And here we have this first glimpse that even in the beginning, oh, someone's coming. Here is the hope, the first prophecy in Scripture. And this is going to happen. The beginning of redemptive history. 
this prophecy ultimately finds its fulfillment in Christ. And this beginning of it is what we celebrate during Christmas season. This prophecy is found in Jesus, who is called the second Adam. This hope is an expectation, a guarantee. Why? Because our God is not a wimpy God. He is one who can do what He promises. He's not one who's like, oh, I don't have enough power, or I just can't fulfill what I promised. He is not a wimpy God. And our God is not a God of legends and myths. He's not fictitious. He is real and able to do it. Again, our mindset of hope isn't really like that today in the English language. We hope that something will happen. The worst season for the Packers was 1958. They won one game, lost ten, and had a tie. There was no way you could say with confidence at the end of that season they're going to win the Super Bowl. Why? Well, there's just no way they could do it. They lost it all except one game. I should have looked. I hope it was against the Bears. They were too weak at that time. There's no way they could have done it. They didn't have the power to win. This year's a little different for them, but God is a God of power. And when it seems like all is lost, we see in the Old Testament and in the New, and we'll see here that today we must have our hope in Him. In Genesis 3, we have the first of many prophecies from God of the One who would come to save His people from their sins. Book after book, generation after generation. We've been doing that in the Old Testament this past year. God's promise, we are told again and again, about a Savior coming from the line of Abraham and of David who would be coming for sure without a doubt biblical hope and they could put their confident expectation that it is guaranteed even though circumstances may not look that way God's people though at times turned away from God they turned away from this hope and trust that they could have in his promise and trusted their own provisions. You know what? It looks like the Messiah is not going to happen. Look at all these horrible judges. Look at all these wicked kings. It's not going to work out. And they continue to turn to idolatry. Their own efforts. Their own chariots. Judgment and punishment came. This is important. The main remedy, in fact, this is what we're going to do for the next year. We're going to be seeing this. The main remedy for suffering, for their punishment, for their judgment, the main remedy for them, and the prophets speak this, is this hope. What brought relief was the hope that the Messiah was coming. And this hope was deeply rooted in the certainty of their relationship with God and their experiences that He had with them. Our God is faithful. God is not going to give up on you, even though you've given up on Him. 
And that's what the prophets preach all the time. We see this in the Old Testament. Hear the words of Psalm 89, 1-4. through I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make Your faithfulness known throughout all generations. I will declare that Your love stands firm forever. That You have established Your faithfulness in heaven itself. You have said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David my servant. I will establish Your line forever and make Your throne firm through all generations. So in the Old Testament, they had this hope, even though circumstances at times try to say, oh, it's not really happening, but their hope was in God. And Israel had to wait and wait. And it was not easy. For hundreds of years, they suffered under the yoke of slavery at times. They were brought into captivity and bondage. Time and time again, they gave up and looked to other gods, other ways to bring freedom, to bring some kind of remedy to their situation. And we've already seen this as we've been studying the Old Testament. Their history was plagued with war and unfaithful judges and kings that went their own way, and it ended up in destruction. While many turned away from God and forgot His promises and lost hope, there was a faithful remnant. There were some who stood up and said, we still believe. The steadfast, here's out of Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new when? Every morning. Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. So this faithful remnant continued to encourage each other. Even in the midst of sorrow and suffering and having this lamentation section here, they remind each other, even though it's bad, His mercies are new every morning. And the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Prophets continued to instill this hope in the people. Listen to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who shall be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient of times. This Ephrathah, this is the old term for Bethlehem. The old language of Bethlehem. This was the birthplace of David. This was his hometown. And out of this little town would come this hope. And we already have been seeing that out of David's line would come this ruler, come this king. And here's another prophecy. Now in the prophecy we get a specific location. A place. In the future, a more significant ruler will come from Bethlehem. More and greater than David. 
and one from the origins of old will come in the future. A prophet. A one who will be born man, but divine. Again, here's that incarnation. He would come from ancient times as in this prophecy that's been being open before the people's eyes, unfolding before them. And the Old Testament Scriptures resonate and have this confident hope that there is one who is coming. The Messiah. God had not forgotten His promise. In fact, the religious leaders of the time of King Herod knew of this reference. They knew. In fact, when King Herod says, where is this all happening? There's some king coming. What's, what's happening on here? When Herod asked, looking for this baby, the people knew the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. This is where the hope was. Then, silence. I just did four seconds of silence. That was maybe long for you. Four hundred years of silence. No prophet speaking. What's happening? Well, maybe that was just a hopeful wish. No. This tested the hope of even the most faithful. But the promise of God's redemption was still real. And this hope again is a confident expectation, a guarantee. 400 years of waiting, decades before the Messiah's birth, the people of Israel were then taken over by the Roman Empire and they kind of threw up their hands. Will the promise happen? And they waited 400 years. We live in a world where we want everything quick. In fact, last year we got this thing called an Instapot. I call it an incubator. Uh, My wife, you know, we got something frozen. We didn't think ahead. We didn't plan, mainly me, I didn't plan ahead. Like, oh, i got to get this food done. Man, you put in this thing, you know, and in two hours, a frozen solid chunk of meat is just tender as can be. I want it done quickly. Instead of thawing it out, for three days, then waiting, and then cooking it slow, low and slow. This thing, like, I don't know what it does. The incubator. We want things done quickly. We want answers. Imagine waiting generations, centuries. The story of God's people shows us that waiting in hope isn't just sitting back with hands in the pocket going, oh, Come on, Lord, fulfill this promise you said. That's not that kind of waiting. The biblical hope is active. This is passive. Oh, this is active. It's always trusting God. It's always listening to God. It's always walking with God. Not hands in the pocket going, I give up on you, God. I just, it's too long. I can't wait. This we learn from the Old Testament. Then, hope came at the right appointed time. I love this verse out of Galatians chapter 4. But when the set time had fully come, 
Again, this was already set before creation. This was already mapped out and planned out by God. When the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. No wonder that evening, even the angels and the heavenly hosts started singing and proclaiming, it finally has come. It's interesting that very few, when it first came, this prophecy, the fulfillment, when the child came, few recognized it right away. A mere baby? Those who did rejoiced because they knew hope is a guarantee. Simeon held the baby. Luke chapter 2 says this, Sovereign Lord, as You have promised, He says, as You have promised, You may now dismiss Your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen Your salvation, which You have prepared in the sight of all nations. See, Simeon was waiting. Simeon was the one who was waiting. Okay, Lord, before I die, I want to make sure this promise is fulfilled. And he got to hold the child. No wonder it's the most wonderful time of the year. Many carols proclaim it. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared and the soul felt His worth. A thrill of hope that's on the sign over there. A weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. What's the response? Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Night divine, O night when Christ was born. No wonder hope is one of the major themes in Scripture. Listen to Romans chapter 5. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's not just a wish, it's a confident expectation. That's biblical hope. That's the hope that will never disappoint us. But hope, biblical hope, isn't just wrapped up in a Christmas gift and then on Christmas morn, that first Christmas morn, we have a child and it's done. Oh, that's not biblical hope. And this is what's important for us today. He will come back again amen he will come back again and today we must remind ourselves don't give up hope don't give up hope advent is filled with this confident expectation because it looks back at what god has already done given to us the messiah the savior we are freed from our sins freed from our bondage but also Advent holds within it this aspect, someday we will be completely free from sin. Completely free from bondage. In the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The biblical word for hope also directs us to the future. As we celebrate Christmas this year, 
we must also celebrate that he will come again. Listen to some of these verses. Hebrews chapter 2, 28. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He will appear the second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him, who have hope in Him. Romans chapter 8, 24. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that, see, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Even though there's pain and suffering, we must have hope for what is to come. Titus chapter 2. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here is what's important for us today. Yes, there is a hope that has come. It's Christ the Messiah. But also there is a hope to come. Just as the main remedy for suffering in the Old Testament was this hope of the Messiah, that should be the same for us today. When God's ultimate salvation comes, Romans 8, 20-21, we will live in eternal glory in the presence of Jesus, who is the hope of glory, it says in Scripture. We look forward with a hope and expectation to the return of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. We need hope. This past week was a long week. I thought the week before I cried a lot. Last week I cried a lot. Part of it was having Luke leave us. It was just very hard. It was a good sorrow, but it was just it was hard to see him leave. He cried, he cried more than I did. Then Friday I was at a funeral where from, from 9.30 till 4 o'clock I was crying the whole time. I had a half hour break of not crying was my joke. But I was tired of crying. There's this awesome word in Scripture. Here's that dictionary. I encourage you to get this. Let me read you this little part here. I won't read it all. It's this word. I think you've heard it before. It's called Maranatha. Right? Okay. Maranatha. One time in Scripture. This term only occurs once in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16.22 though the idea occurs elsewhere. Maranatha is a translation of an Aramaic phrase that can be translated, O Lord, come. Because this Aramaic term is included in a letter written to a congregation that's primarily Gentile and Greek-speaking, this suggests that Maranatha comes from a liturgical prayer. I'll skip some stuff and it says this. And it is interesting that in the last book of the New Testament to be written, the second to last verse of the last chapter, this same prayer is included, though it is in Greek form. Come, 
Lord Jesus. Revelation 22.20. That should still be our prayer. We should always be living in the expectation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Until the day He comes, we will have tears. Until the day He comes, we will struggle and wrestle of this concept that we faced all the time, pain and suffering. Christmas doesn't excuse pain and suffering. It brings the remedy to it. Amen? Not only in the birth of the Savior, but that hopeful, guaranteed expectation He is coming for me. There's a phrase that if I say it a couple times, I will just start weeping. I'm only going to say it once. Here it is. God, I want to come home. Even though I say it a couple times, I'll start weeping. But you know what? It's sorrow, but also there is hope and assurance. Amen? The biblical concept of hope is far greater than we, I believe, can understand. It is this confident expectation that He is coming. So church, it's interesting that in the early church, they would say daily probably, in this liturgical way, they would say to each other, Maranatha! Come, O Lord! Guess what? He's coming! Wouldn't it be great if we did that? I encourage you. Last week I encouraged you to find five people and say I love you to five people. Hopefully you did more than five. Look them in the eyes and say that. It says in Scripture, now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three, right? The greatest of these is love. And most people kind of just look at the love part, which it's the greatest. But also is faith and also is hope. What we need today is this, bumping shoulders with each other, looking each other in the eyes and say, don't give up. Oh, he's coming back. How many centuries has it been? Sometimes I wonder when I study the book of Revelation, I just go, uh, okay, Lord, uh, you're not coming back. Get my hands on my pocket and say, God, my hope is in you. Amen? When you meet someone suffering, I encourage you, look him in the eyes and say, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on Christ. He's coming. His promises are not like what we imagine. His promises are sure. He is not slow in keeping His promises as some understand slowness to be. So I encourage you, Keep a watch. Because he's coming back for you. Amen? He's coming back for us. You don't have to say, oh, Maranatha to people today, every day. They might, but if they understand the word, that's good. So I encourage you today, think of five people who need to hear the words, he's coming back. Don't give up hope. 
Maybe you know someone who's suffering in your family. Maybe you yourself are suffering. Read scripture. Read the beauty. He is coming back. Read Revelation 21. Read that. Read Revelation 22. It's full of confident expectation. He's coming back. Let's now take some time and turn to our Christmas carols. At the end of each of our services, we're taking time looking at different Christmas carols. Some of these are a little different to us as we go through some of these carols. In fact, as we've sung many of these each week ago, there's a word no one knows. Some of them are so old and you wonder, what do these mean? In fact, next Christmas season, we're going to be dealing with some of these older words explaining them. Some of them are in Latin. As we will sing today, we'll sing something that's in Latin. Sometimes they're awkward. And because they were written in different languages, in fact, I love it when I hear Silent Night in German. It's just, I don't know, something about it. It's just beautiful. When they're translated, sometimes we get different translations because words are hard to translate exactly word for word. You really can't always do that. In fact, as we sing O Holy Night, if you look at your sheets, um, we're going to be singing this, this version of it, not the hymnal version. After we got this done again, we looked and we go, oh, okay, these are a little different. So we'll have the words up on the screen if you don't have a green sheet. So at this time, the Swanson are going to come up and share a little bit about a song that they've been excited about since I talked to them last year. And after they're done, we will stand and the worship team will come up and we will sing the songs. When Pastor Cody asked us to choose a favorite Christmas carol to share with you, we boarded a plane and flew to Vienna, Austria. There we hopped on a bus and traveled west to Salzburg. Then we caught a train and rode north to Oberndorf, Austria. Once there, we walked through the town to the shore of the Salzach River. It was here, near the river, in 1816, that the young priest, Father Joseph Moore, had written the poem, Still Knocked. After one of the many floods of the Salzach River, in 1818, the organ in the St. Nicholas Church was damaged, and there would be no music for the Christmas Eve service. Father Moore went to his friend, schoolmaster, and church organist, Franz Xavier Gruber, who lived in the nearby village of Ornsdorf. Father Moore brought the words of his poem and asked Franz Gruber to compose a melody and guitar accompaniment for the Christmas Eve service. So that Christmas Eve service in 1818, the Christmas carol, Silent Night, was first performed in the St. Nicholas Church in Oberndorf, Austria. The St. Nicholas Church was eventually destroyed by repeated flooding and was later replaced by the Silent Night Chapel. After we walked along the levee that now protects that area from future flooding, we found the Silent Night Chapel. The chapel is a modest structure that is a memorial to the Silent Night Carol and is built on the actual site of the former St. Nicholas Church. 
The octagonal building has plain white interior walls with a few wooden pews and a center aisle. As you enter the front portal, your eyes are focused on the decorative altar straight ahead. There is a beautiful wooden carved altarpiece by sculptor Herman Hutter, which contains a relief of the nativity. The altar base has a relief of the adoration of the Magi, the crucifixion, and the escape from Egypt. There are two arched stained glass windows on either side of the chapel honoring the lyrist Joseph Moore and composer Franz Gruber. The windows are made from Tyrolean stained glass. In the bottom of each window, you see the St. Nicholas Church from different views. The building shown next to the church, which was the former parsonage of St. Nicholas, has been turned into a museum for the Christmas Carol. Today, the chapel is a famous venue for weddings throughout the year. But more importantly, the chapel hosts a special Christmas Eve service. Every year, especially at Christmas, thousands of people from around the world visit the Memorial Chapel and join in the singing of the much-loved carol. I was originally going to talk about unauthorized armistice that occurred Christmas Eves during World War I and World War II that I heard as a boy in my home church, the first evangelical free church of Chicago. <laughs> These incredible unauthorized armistices were stories often associated with the carol Silent Night where fighting stopped on Christmas Eve and the stories even went so far as to tell about German and British soldiers singing carols together in their different languages on Christmas Eve, only to resume fighting the next day. Silent Night was originally written in German and seemed to be the appropriate song to sing during the silence of the guns from both sides. These stories I heard as a boy decades ago from speakers in church were confirmed on the walls of Silent Night Museum. Our visit to the Silent Night Museum indicated these Christmas Eve armistices actually took place and also documented the fact that fraternizing with the enemy during wartime was a court-martial offense. Both Joanne and my father were army sergeants in different different parts of Europe during World War II. I was going to pursue a World War I and World War II discussion because I hadn't noticed or even thought about the theology present in Silent Night, one of my favorite Christmas carols. I pictured the writer of Silent Night was thinking about his Christmas Eve in 1818 when the church organ wasn't working. After all, the angels weren't silent announcing to the shepherds and Bethlehem seemed busy because Mary and Joseph couldn't get a room in the inn. But while we were researching Silent Night, Joanne found a theology of Silent Night that I never heard or considered before about the writer's perspective in writing the words to this beloved carol sung in over 300 languages during Christmas season. I will read it now. Silent Night. 
the fact that sinful men and women can experience peace with God and subsequently peace on earth when they really deserve death is the essence of grace. That's why the author of Silent Night could pen these words, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Redeeming grace is why Jesus came. It is why he died, so that through him, sinful men and women might be reconciled and restored to God. The message of Christmas brings sinners to a crossroads where they must deal with the person of Jesus Christ. Will you embrace him as Lord and Savior, or will you dismiss his claim on your life and reject the salvation he offers? He is the only way of salvation. As the apostle Peter proclaimed about Jesus, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. This carol is definitely a Christmas Eve message as it was played the first time 200 Christmas Eves ago. Yes, I know Jesus was probably not born December 25th, that the birth of Christ was not celebrated by the church until 336 AD, and that December 25th was formerly a pagan holiday changed to a Christian holiday when the Roman Empire turned Christian. But, but, whatever night Jesus was born, it was the dawn of redeeming grace, a silent, holy night when Jesus became human or incarnate as a baby to live a sinless life and as an adult by his death and resurrection offers believers the only way back to God. Thank you. The worship team is going to come up. You could stand, grab your green sheets, or maybe there might be a different color. We're going to sing these songs. Next year, we're going to kind of do the same thing. We're going to be learning about songs, and as they, I realized that as I asked them to do a song, they flew to Europe. I'm going to do the Hawaiian song, Milikimaka, whatever that is, so I can go to Hawaii and study that song, right? Let's celebrate Jesus. And I pray that in these songs, you would adore him and worship him and remind yourself always coming again amen oh maranatha